we've had so many questions for you. I am. I okay. That's. <laughs> I can it's imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, I if any of them, if any of them are questions about my failed Kickstarter horrors of war, I I have an answer for that. But it's going to be that I've because I don't know what to tell you except it's a failed Kickstarter. Those things don't always make it. And I'm just you know I've still got some people interested in maybe taking up what I've done for it so far because it's got tons of art that's the art's done the maps are done uh, you know most of the writing is done it needs editing and it needs layout and I need to find some you know I've, I've talked to a few people who'd be interested in uh, doing layout on some sort of spec but I'm out of money for it I can't pay anyone anymore. So it's, it's stalled and it's been stalled and uh, late stage capitalism has not been good. I mean, I, I was a backer and I really pushed it as well. Uh, and I was one of the lucky few. Did you get a refund? I did, yeah. Right. Um, and I, I almost framed. I'm almost glad you framed the check because it's going to be worth <laughs> more for bragging rights. I'm one of the three people who got a refund from this failed Kickstarter. Good job. Sorry. Well, but clearly, clearly I... I I spent it all on miniatures. That's clearly <laughs> the, I'm complaining about not having money. And then behind me yeah. is a bunch of metal miniatures. That's, that's, a, that's the self indictment. You can just, <laughs> you can go ahead and use that for the, for the lawsuits. Today's guest is one of the developers of the original multi-award winning Delta Green for Call of Cthulhu, author of Iconoclast for Delta Green, the role-playing game, and the president of Pagan Publishing. Ever loquacious, he's one of the double-barreled Scott Delta Green Mafia, Mr. Adam Scott Clancy. Thank you for coming on. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so as is normal when we have guests on, we, we do our A or B quiz. Now, we don't have to expand on it, but we invariably do, often I mean, we are, we've had crazy things people have said. The one we always <laughs> cite is we had one of the lads from the Titterpigs podcast, Keith, and he said, we gave him the option, would you rather wrestle a gorilla or an alligator? And he chose a gorilla. Genuinely thinking he could beat a gorilla. <laughs> let, let, let me say as a Floridian, they actually told us in school how to wrestle alligators. You just keep them out shut, don't you? Well, yeah. First of all, you, you keep them out shut and you turn them out, you, you, you twist and try and get them on their backs because their brains will slip out of its cavity and land on the inside top of their skull so they go into a coma really yes they, they they're they wow. not built like us where we can hang upside down and we've got this duodenum or whatever it's called the, i can't remember what it's called the sack around our brain that keeps us from getting concussions they don't have that or they don't have as robust a one so if you roll them onto their backs they they just kind of pass out 
Wow, I did not know that. How bad is it that you have to be taught that at school? Well, um, I, I mean, shouldn't say that we were taught that at school, but there was a school trip yeah. to Gatorland <laughs> in Florida, <laughs> which was a giant alligator reptile park uh, that might be older than Disney. It certainly is a little more squalid than Disney. And we saw any number of, hmm. uh, you know, survivors from the age of dinosaurs hanging out there. The, 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 the front entrance to the park is literally a giant cement alligator mouth that you walk down its throat to go into. So, Dude, oh, excellent. So, so, so do you see them often? I mean, just in daily life, uh, how often well, you, is it like twice a day? or? No, I'll tell you what, it depends on where you're at. Um, when I was in uh, going to law school in Gainesville, um, uh, Florida, at the University of Florida, there was a, there was a, uh, a pond where I routinely drove by on, in my car or rode by on my bike to get to the, to the law school campus where they were just hanging out on the grass between the, you know, right up to the road with their mouths open where they, they do that internal cooling thing where they, um, they lay out the sun to build up their body heat and they open their mouths and let some of the heat out so they can stay balanced and not overheat. I'd see them out there and there's a big old sign that says, do not, you know, presume these are pets. They will eat your face or at least they'll break your arm. I mean, that's the classic thing is if uh, an alligator grabs your hand, it's not they're going to bite your hand off. They just do this thing with they their body when they start yeah. rolling. Yeah. And they'll just twist your arm right out of the socket. They'll just, they'll break all your bones. They're, they're, that, that's no fun. But yeah, um, you'd see them there. Uh, I can remember seeing them in a lake that I was swimming in as a kid that, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, surprised a parrot everyone running out of the lake. Um, uh, you can hear them. Uh, all the time uh, in, in in the right areas because they sound off, uh, you know. Um, I was from Central Florida. There's no there's no rivers in Florida. You know, there's just lakes. It's it's a bit like the Yucatan where it's just this big limestone peninsula, and everything's lakes and sinkholes for water. And there's a ton. I mean, you can't you know swing a dead cat without hitting uh, a lake. Uh, but, uh, the, so the alligators are all over the place. Now they're all, there is, um, there was a time when they were hunted close, to, they were hunted to the, into, into the endangered species list, but they've bounced back and they <laughs> are now bumping up against suburbs routinely. Wow. Animal control, you know, they're not, animal control is not looking for rabbit dogs in Florida. Animal control is getting raccoons, possums, and alligators and the occasional rattlesnake or cottonmouth water moccasin out of your out of your garage or out of your garbage cans or something like that. Um, but yeah, you'd see that you know it's not hard to see them. To you don't have to work too hard to find an alligator in Florida. You really don't. I mean, in this country, it's, that's just a, in this country, it's bats, isn't it? You've got bats in your loft, haven't you, Giff? Oh yeah. You're not yeah. allowed to remove them either. Yeah. Not, so you just have to put up with the fact that they could get rabies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, that's unfortunate. Um, that's really unfortunate. I mean, we have, I'm up in the Pacific Northwest now. We we have, uh, bats is about the most dangerous. Bats, possums. It's much more temperate there, though, isn't it? Up here. Yeah. Oh, well, we, I think the, the, the largest problematic predator that we have up here is, is Northwestern Nazis. Well, um, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we <laughs> genuinely have a problem with those um, because uh, during the 70s and 80s, there was a, 
And I guess it still survives today. There was a there was a white supremacist myth of creating the Vredout, the final stronghold of the white race, you know, holding out against the tide of Masad, you know, whatever, you know, uh, whatever these fools were up to. And a lot of them came up here um, and got old and gray and, uh, yeah, the... Uh, uh, got sued into oblivion by the Southern Poverty Law Center. I think that's what happened to the Church of Jesus Christ, Aryan Nations. You know, they're out of business. Did he forget where Jesus came from? or does that... <laughs> um, the, the, the capacity of Nazis for self-deception is pretty astounding. I mean, you know, you look at the, the original Reich and all the pseudoscience and junk science that they believed in, in, in conspiracy theory that was part of, you know, party doctrine, Thule. Um, you know, Atlantis myths, um, uh, you know, um, any kind of race science, you know, measuring skulls, you know, they, they, mm. they, they put together entire departments that were about trying to put a academic gloss on the dumbest conspiracy theories you can imagine. So uh, nothing's changed. They're still the same credulous uh, thugs they've always been. Um, you know, they have cell phones. Now. I mean, it's funny That's because all. I did a video recently on the Karatechia and um, I was surprised to learn that that department that was measuring the skills, of, the skulls of gypsies and everything, it was real. I couldn't believe it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Ananerba was a real thing. And uh, there were a bit of an embarrassment, apparently, to Hitler. I, I, My understanding recently is that Hitler was uh, sort of incredulous about some of this uh, paranormal stuff. And Himmler believed everything. Himmler was absolutely, had drank all the newage Kool-Aid. So uh, he was out there trying to dig up these archaeological sites to prove some greater German civilization of the past. And all he was coming up with was mud huts, you know, and stone axes while the Romans were building Rome. And it was an embarrassment, you know. It wasn't somehow they didn't come up with the glowing Atlantean power crystals that they were <laughs> <laughs> and flying cars that they were hoping for. Um, yeah, the Ananarba was real. And so was um, so was Sonder Commando uh -huh. um, uh, for Hexen. Hexen yeah. That was real, too. Yeah, they were. And my best I can tell is that they genuinely were about collecting information on Catholic witch trials so that they could build a case that the Catholic Church has been murdering and killing Germans. Uh, in the name of made up of make believe witchcraft for you know centuries, and it was going to be a way to devalue the Catholic Church after they won. They you had the concordat with Pope Pius XII, right? So they were going to stay out of each other's business, at least at the top levels. I mean, plenty of Catholic priests ended up in um, Dachau, um, but uh, the uh, but at the, but the Nazis were planning for what happens after we win, and they were not going to have another another source of moral authority in Europe besides the German uh, the, the, the the German so German Workers Party, the uh, National Socialist German Workers Party, um, which is again you know classic you know totalitarian move. There is you know are you going to believe your lying eyes? You're going to believe what the party tells you. You know, so that's what that Hexen was about. But it it. It certainly smells like something out of, you know. Um, Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, it absolutely does. And that's certainly another reason why I was inspired to write that was absolutely the Indiana Jones thing. 
But anyways, uh, let's go on to the choice between A and B. Look, look how quickly we got through A and B, which we haven't gotten through. And then you have 37 questions. It's going to be a Just break. We start. We're going to be out of here in 15 minutes. I, I spoke to someone who had you on the podcast before who will remain nameless. I said, any hints? And he said, have an X card to stop him talking. Yeah. Yeah, that's the it's the only chance you have. You know, maybe put it on mute. I guess then. No, we, we invited you on to talk to you. All right, let's hear it. It's your fault. Yeah, then. I, I accept full full blame for it. Go ahead, then, Griff. Okay, then A or B. No thinking about it, and we'll see where you are today. More frightening, alien or body snatchers? Body snatchers. Mm. That's the uh, that's a good body snatchers answer. is more is more frightening. Now I get that the alien turns you into or, or uh, turn turns you into a womb. Mm. So there's this whole aspect of rape and possibly for men demasculinization uh, to be turned into a reproductive organ. That's not great. On the plus <laughs> side, it could just... <laughs> yeah. On the plus side, it could just kill you. Yeah. And it's got all kinds of way on. Yeah. Uh, body snatchers... Um, uh, body snatchers is terrifying on the grounds that as it's happening around you and you start picking up the hints that it is happening, the first thing you question is not, oh, my God, aliens are invading and I have to do something about it. Your first question is, I've gone bad. What am I going to do about the fact that I no longer I, – I am an unreliable narrator. I can't tell reality from fiction. I need to seek help, right? Um, it was no wonder in the uh, – the remake of Body Snatchers that Leonard Nimoy, the pop psychologist, was one of the first people the aliens take over. So I'm feeling very paranoid. Tell me more about your feelings. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I uh, the that that the, the the that that to me the the erosion of the people around you mm. in a way that undermines your confidence in yourself. That's that that creeps me out. And of course, it lands in the uncanny valley. Yeah. which is one of my least favorite places yeah. where, you know, the bodies, the people who are body snatched are not white who they were. Mm. And the uncanny Valley is one of those absolutely terrifying places. It's where clowns. <laughs> Do you know, I saw an interesting point of view on the, the uncanny Valley before you proceed. It was the because obviously for those who know what the Uncanny Valley is, it's where you've got robots that look like robots and robots that are identical to humans. And there's that valley in the middle where trust of them goes down and fear goes up. And that's the valley in, in the graph, isn't it? So is it fair to say that at some point we developed this as a psychological defense to distrust things that don't look quite like us? It, that's one of the stories I remember throwing out mm. just a little. Here's something to creep you mm. out. Does this mean there was something out there that predated us that could sort of pass for us at a distance, but once it got close enough, you realized there were things that were wrong about it, but it's too late because it's too mm. close now. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, thank you. I'll just, I'll go right <laughs> to sleep tonight. That'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I've really enjoyed that. There's certainly, there's a lot to be, there's a lot of hay to be. Uh, made with that particular trope in Lovecraftian horror and uh, uh, and in cosmic horror, mm. so very happy well, with that. The end of the look. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not bingo. white, is it? Mm. Got next A and B then, Griff. Yeah. Okay, next A or B. Would you rather be two inches tall or two hundred feet tall? <laughs> I'm as someone who's lived at six foot six his entire life. Two two meters for. Uh, 
you folks playing at home. Being taller has not appealed to me at all. All right. Now, the problem is, is that you want me to just pick something, right? And um, one of the problems with just picking something is I know too much about the physics of 200 feet tall and two inches tall. Two inches tall, I'm a moron because even though I'm two inches tall, my brain cell, my brain cells haven't shrunk. My lungs haven't changed. The oxygen molecules are the same that are going through me, right? You know, that world hasn't changed. If I'm two inches tall, I have, I have fewer brain cells. I'm as dumb as a shrew. Also, I can't stay warm, right? Because if I'm warm, because I, I got to eat like my weight to burn it up to keep keep enough heat doing like shrews do, they eat their body weight. That sucks. I'm a dumb and I'm going to freeze to death if I don't stop eating. All right, I stop eating. 200 feet tall, my bones liquefy under the weight of me. There's nothing that can be this big. You know what I mean? Structurally, I would collapse and die, right? So, um, but I'd be smart for a few seconds before the weight of my own brain crushed my brain inside my own skull. So, um, uh, I'm going to go for, you know, I, I think I'm going to have to go, based on that, I would go with the uh, 200 feet tall so it could be over quickly. I could just fall over, <laughs> hit the ground, and explode like a water. Maybe are you were smart enough for just so enough time what, to think of a way to, to stop yourself dying. Yeah, well. <laughs> so what you're saying, sorry, what you're saying to us is that Tom and Jerry cartoons. Yeah, they, they, they. Because. They, 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 He's so smart. He's so smart. No, Jerry. no, the Kai, the kaiju's have lied to us, you know, and 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 it's worth remembering because there was a time when people would look at animals and go, well, you know, what's their percentage of brain compared to their body mass? And they'd look at the whales and then go, well, yeah. their percentage of brain to body mass is only I don't know forty eight percent of what a, a human brain is to body mass, and therefore yeah. we're smarter. And I'm like, no. No, their brain is the size of us, and it's made out of nothing but brain cells. So that means it's got better capacity for computation. So why are we making them into perfume and lamp oil again? Because that's creeping me out. Well, that's not because good. we can. <laughs> that's why. Well, there's that. And also, God, I mean, Godzilla. A, obviously, his body is able to cope with it. Has developed as a way of coping with being that like that you're judging everything by a human standard mm -hmm. now i if, if i can survive if i can be me at 200 feet or me at two inches um i'm gonna go with me at two inches on the grounds that it will make all boobs bigger <laughs> me fair enough that's that, that's unarguable isn't it yeah yeah exactly you know yeah. i just i'm just gonna go with two inches on that grounds if I could keep all my cognizant and not die of hypothermia and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. explain, explain that, man. <laughs> oh, well, you know. Uh, he's the size a of movie? an ant and he's dead smart. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, it's a movie. It's the suit. It's the suit, remember? He's, yeah, but he takes his helmet off loads, doesn't he? Just, yeah, well, they took their helmets off in, um, you know, uh, what was that terrible alien sequel, uh, Prometheus. Mm. Um, and they and in several others, man, those guys do not know how to keep a vac seal. It, I don't, I've never met traveler player players who played traveler who were like ready to pop their vac suit the moment they get. Oh, it's breathable. Let's get out there and get some of these microbes in our lungs so we can. Yeah, yeah nobody does that. Nobody, nobody pops their vac suit. I mean, what the hell. I don't know many astronauts to be fair though, so I don't know whether they do. <laughs> I'll tell you what. 
there is one movie, um, a film with Pedro Pascal called Prospect, where they go to a hostile environment that has an atmosphere. There's an atmosphere, mm. there's um, gravity, um, but the environment is hostile. You can't breathe this atmosphere. You'll get this, uh, the way the plants on this planet work, you'll get the pollen in your lungs, it'll kill you, right? And Pascal and all the other actors, except for a couple scenes inside of sealed areas, spent the entire movie wearing vac suit helmets. And I was super impressed. It was clearly Pascal is not afraid of a helmet. You know what I mean? Uh, but so many people are like, well, how are we going to know who the actor is? And how are we going to see them emote through the suit? And the, the Pascal did. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Pascal absolutely uh, did it. It's a great film if you're a fan of hard, hard sci-fi. It's it. up there with like, it's up there. It has that kind of hard sci-fi you get from the alien, the early alien movies from Outland, from things like right. that. It's a, uh, uh, or, or the, uh, or that TV series, the, uh, gosh, what's it called? Not the, the Abyss. Expanse. Um, the Expanse. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit like that. It's a um, very, very good, super low budget sci-fi film. Absolutely incredible. Anyways. And, and vi violence is really frightening oh, yeah. in it because it's realistic. People start trying to hurt each other. They really do hurt yeah. each other. And, it, and, and and they scream and it hurts. And, and yeah, it's, it's got that aspect where nothing's a cartoon. It's way too, it's way too realistic. So yeah, I'll go with uh, Two Inch Tall. <laughs> After all that, Two Inch Tall. I've got to keep us on track somehow. <laughs> okay. You're, you're on the final wish from a genie in the lamp. Do you gamble on more wishes? Yes no. or no? I tell him to fuck off. I tell him, I confirm <laughs> that right. he knows everything. He's been everywhere. He's done all the stuff. You know, there's no wish that he, I, he, I can't ask him to do that he can't comply with, right? You know? And then I say, well, if you know everything and you've been everywhere and you're, you know, you can go any place in the blink of an eye and come back, I'm going to tell you, get lost. But, see, you're not thinking outside the box here. You could have wished for that Kickstarter to work. <laughs> yeah, I really could have. And that's maybe what it would take. But no, it's the classic, you got to get him away from you. you got to get a gin away from you. Yeah. Because they're always there to fuck yeah. you up. So you have to get rid of the gin. I wish you weren't a gin would be the other option. You know what I mean? Uh, he still might just, you what know, if it was like a Rob Robin Williams kind of funny, you know, impressions kind of gin. Yeah, I don't trust him. I never trusted that thing. I, <laughs> you know, we could turn on you in a second. Um, you know, uh, nah, yeah, I, I don't gamble on extra wishes. In fact, I want to shut down the gin. Fair, I, I want to get it out of there before it can before it can turn on me because. Uh, apart from Disney telling me everything's all right, remember Disney told me everything was all right with the Song of the South, right? Different time, no, you know. It was a different time, you know. They told me everything was okay with the Hunchback, or maybe that was Don Blues. I can't remember, but you know, they 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 told me things are all right that when they haven't been. The only time I feel Disney's really been honest with me was uh, something something wicked this way comes, which if you haven't seen that, you're missing out because Jonathan Price has a scene in a library with Jason Robards where he shows up and he does the best impersonation of Nyla Thotep that I've ever seen in, in a movie where he just shows up and is just uh, all the evil and all of the menace. And it's a good, it's a young Jonathan Price with long black hair and a goatee. 
and smooth as silk. It's, they always it's have incredible. a goatee, though, don't they? performance. Never see never well, you know, beard like Father Christmas, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you're right. Well, you know, he was he was well groomed. Big big Father Christmas beards have a tendency to look sloppy, I guess, unless you're I don't know Admiral Turpitz, where you have all these World War One admirals. Know, like, they have these insane beards. Crazy hillbilly with a big white beard is like they're gonna eat you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that just it just looks like he hasn't been to the yep, state. Okay, next day. Be... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's always yellow from the tobacco yeah. juice he's missing. Uh, any more A and Bs? Oh yeah, we've got. Yep. Next one. Would you rather take your chances on the zombie apocalypse or an alien invasion? Uh, even though the zombie apocalypse is no longer any fun since I'm old and fat and can't run the way I used to, and that's they, even they presuming we get the kind of zombies. <laughs> You just got to walk faster than that. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Uh, but, you know, they get we get tired and they don't. True. Um, even though the zombie apocalypse is, and, and I can't get my meds, you know, <laughs> there's also that. Um, uh, but, you know, the NHS is out of business. And uh, even even though the zombie apocalypse is filled with all those kind of uh, horrors, I will take my chance on that as opposed to an alien invasion. Because personally, I think an alien invasion is just going to be a big can of raid. Uh, yeah. liberally sprayed over the planet. I mean, they show up for us and they want this rock, it's yeah, theirs. We're not <laughs> we, we, they're, they're not going to show up in tripods that we can shoot at with, you know, 16-pounders. Like, you know, uh, e even the mismatch that good old H.G. Wells envisioned, and it's a hell of a good mismatch. It's going to be so much worse. And hell, those aliens are just coming from down the block. It's, we know now they're going to have to come from outside the neighborhood, outside yeah. the state, they're gonna have to. They may have to come from that. They can get all the way over here. Yeah, it's it's gonna it, it's a blink of an eye. Shit. I, see, I think I think um, the zombie apocalypse is it's really overthought. I don't think it'd be anywhere near as terrifying. You're just gonna get higher than them. Well, yeah, for a while until the, but you got to presume that they're gonna run out of juice. They're they're a meat battery that never runs out of juice. Big long stick with a knife on the end. I would never tire of stabbing people in the head. Well, again, I did say that bit out loud, didn't I? <laughs> un until the stick breaks. How many of them before the stick breaks? It's all about logistics. I hate to say it, but you know, um, the one thing that Max Brooks taught me about the zombie apocalypse with his World War Z was it's all about logistics. Um, and it's all about cooperation. Uh, you know, uh, led, bred, and fed was the whole idea of an army. Um, Zombie armies don't need to be led. They're all on mission. They all have the same mission. Um, uh, uh, they don't need to be fed. Even if they don't get to eat us, they're still going. They don't fall over. Um, and bread, they're always recruiting. They're always recruiting. And depending on your zombie apocalypse style, when I fall over dead from a heart attack, they just recruited me. I don't. If I don't have to get, you don't have to get bit. Then they're always in your backfield. They're always behind you. You are always overrun. Because yeah, they're going to run out eventually. The human race is finite. They're not going to have any children, are they? So who won? If we run out of humans, who wins that? Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, but we, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, but fair enough. But zombies don't reproduce. Humans do. Unless, and you know, zombies. That's true. Zombies do reproduce, and that's terrifying. You are correct. We can make more of ourselves, and they are helpless for how many years? They are a liability. Yeah. For years, and maybe then they five. cry when they need to be quiet as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. So um, there's also, of course, the classic thing that people are terrible and dumb yeah. Yeah. and panicky. 
And we'll look, we live in a world where one political party in my country is considered to be either uh, possibly all of the above at the same time. Uh, Shape-changing Illuminati druid reptiles um, who are Satanists who drink blood and adrenochrome uh, and stay young forever uh, while uh, while controlling the banks and uh, the Rothschilds, but aren't we promise, we promise, we promise, it's not an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, Um, you know, Put blood in the matzah or whatever. You know, it, it, we have a we have a, a, a huge, ridiculous number of very activated people, right? Yeah. Um, who are down for this. We had the pandemic. Look, when I think of when shit goes sideways, I think of the flooding in New Orleans where Lake Pontchartrain washed into the city. And for and uh, uh, when George W. Bush was charged, and it was a disaster, and nobody did anything, and everyone, you know, left people to die, and it was a just the the, the emergency response was a freaking mess. Now we get the pandemic, and we get the rollout of vaccines super fast. I'm impressed, right? Um, and we're told what to do not to get sick, and we had an entire population said. Fuck you! You don't. You're not the boss of me. This is tyranny. I'm gonna breathe on who I want. You know. You can't make me wear a mask. That uh, masks are Muslim. Yeah, you're trying to make me do Sharia. Oh my God! You're trying to kill Jesus with a mask, and you know, and and I'll kill you over that. And carry guns, but they won't wear a mask. You know. Imagine those people faced with zombies. You think they're gonna organize? Mm. They have lots. They'd have lots of guns, though, wouldn't they? Yeah, and they'd be dumb as shit, and they'd be shooting me because they can tell that I'm a zombie because I voted Democrat, okay? They will use this opportunity to settle old scores. Their first thought is, they're going to think like you, zombies are easy, we can take them out any time we want, but we're going to have that moment, like from The Simpsons, where Homer says, oh, Homer, you killed the, the zombie Flanders, and Homer says, Flanders was a zombie? So they're going to settle scores. Can you imagine... What think, the Palestinians, what the Palestinians and the Israelis would do to each other if every time they killed somebody on the opposite team, that person turned into somebody who kills more people on the opposite team? Oh, that doesn't even bear thinking about, does it? No, it doesn't. Which is why I'm telling you, I I'm not saying that pockets of protected humanity with enough supplies and resources couldn't exist. I am telling you, the vast parts of this globe are going to become ungovernable. That's what I'm telling. you. I mean, it, I think zombie apocalypse-wise, I think this country is slightly different because we don't we don't have guns in this country. Nobody has guns. The police don't carry guns. So for us, it would be literally just like killing zombie hordes with, with kitchenware. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you, and you go to the garden tools. Yeah, you go to the garden shed. You get out a, a decent-sized yeah. pickaxe or something, you know. And if people can get organized, you know, if people can uh, treat it like it's the Blitz again, um, they'll yeah. get their shit together. You also have the advantage you're running out. You have mm. your problem of zombies, and that's it. The Isle of Man is on their own. Ireland is on their own. The Hebrides are all each individually on their own. And um, you know, uh, you know. So uh, I, uh, yes, you've got advantages. Heck, you've got buildings designed to withstand sieges by infantry. By I'm, infantry. I'm, I'm, you know, you've got. Yeah, you got I'm things that were designed to keep uh, to keep infantry out, infantry not armed with artillery and guns. Things that are useless mm. museum pieces are suddenly going to be mm. where people gather for safety. We yeah. do not have that kind of architecture 
almost anywhere in North America. There are a few old museum forts, yeah. but there's not much else. There's not much else. You, 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 I'm three quarters of a mile away from Warwick Castle, and we've got a trebuchet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, there, there's some negatives to it because it, all the washed up pop stars do summer concerts there and you can't help but hear them. We've got, we've got, I don't know if you know Noah Gallagher from Oasis. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, we've got him coming up. And last year we had No Doubt. That was quite mm -hmm. nice. They were quite good. And then two days later, I think we had somebody like Peter Andre, like some really rubbish pop singer. <laughs> it's insane, yeah. So, well, he's got a trebuchet and it's Could got you put him in a little trip? I was going to say, Peter Andre into the trebuchet. Feed the it was it was right there. It was right there. The trebuchet <laughs> was right there. You know. Um, yeah. So uh, you you guys have some advantages that we don't. And again, if you you have an incredibly stupid portion of your population uh, as well, just. <laughs> but um, they don't have AR-15s. No, that is true. No. So their ability, they, yeah, but their ability to cause damage is vastly limited. You know, yeah, uh, vastly. Sadly, the English population is not allowed to to, to own chainmail and broadswords. I would, I would. I mean, put, that's not strictly true. I was under the impression that that was those are considered a, like like a genuine sword, not a. No, no, uh, no. You're not allowed to own it legally. Ah, fair enough. I th I thought you could own it legally. You just couldn't take it out of the house. I'm hoping so because I've got a chainmail room and a, a longsword room upstairs. Uh, yes, yes, that's for weapons. Well, you never know. In the zombie apocalypse, he's going to have to be the quartermaster for whatever militia forms up to protect the neighborhood. So he's going to have to be handing out. Cha yeah, chainmail will fuck up a zombie. Chain chainmail is not going to do a zombie any favors. It really isn't. It's, it's, it's going to be better though. Wouldn't it? it ain't going to pull your helmet off. Ah, uh, yeah, but it, yeah, it, it's true. But it's it's. Um, it, it is damn heavy, and uh, where am it's I? Not as heavy as people thought it was. It's actually not too bad once you get used to it. Uh, well, that's the trick. Um, then I suppose the, the, the guys clean the dentist is the same. Uh, the 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 guys who wore that stuff were monsters. We never we need to never forget that they didn't need to go to the goddamn gym. They just needed to suit up and get on their you know if they could get on their horse without being lifted by a crane or if they climbed a set of stairs. Or they just ran, moved in formation, you know, while carrying. But they were tanks or anything. Yeah, yeah they, they they were absolute monsters, and all they had to do was wear seventy pounds of you know steel and learn to move like they weren't wearing seventy pounds of steel. Holy crap! You know, there's the trick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that you know, that's a hell of a workout, kids. Uh, it is. That's not even counting the giant swords they had. Yeah. Which was basically a big crowbar, wasn't uh, it? Frickin' Schwarzenegger said that just swinging the sword uh, in practice back in 1980 when he was, did the first Conan film, uh, he put on weight. He put on weight. Uh, muscle. This was just, ex Mr. Universe, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, he, he, he said, yeah, there was a difference. Yeah, he had his regular workout, and then he'd go to just maintain. And then he'd go to the Japanese fellow who... Uh, was the uh, sword instructor for the movie. You see him in the film. He, he's the he's literally the guy playing the instructor and um, just passed away recently, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, he'd go uh, practice with that guy for a couple hours a day so they didn't chop each other's hands and fingers off when they were doing the stunts. And uh, yeah, just swinging the sword was a workout. And I'm just like, yep. 
<laughs> yes, it is, kids. It's a giant piece of metal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, so this idea, like, well, how do people keep fit? Well, I because they were pushing the plow by themselves. They didn't have a mule there. They, yeah. Or they, yeah. you know, uh, or they were Marius's mules. They were Roman legionaries carrying their pack, their gear, their armor, their, their and, and their entrenching tools. The, the plus they ate grass and leaves. <laughs> they were, none of them were fat. They were all yeah. They were all ate grass and leaves and pushed a plow around all day. Yeah. So they were super fit, but they still died in childbirth. Well, yes. Yeah, so they, again, they lived in the ripe old age of died in childbirth, <laughs> or or the ripe old age of impacted um, impacted molar. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's let's think of how long any of I had a root canal done. I would have died. I might have died in the sure, Middle yeah. Ages if I if I had had a root canal. I had in my appendix out, if I was the emperor of Rome, if I was the uh, Manchu emperor, I would have died. The first first appendix okay. came out of somebody in like 1843, I believe in England, as a matter of fact. And uh, even then it was a 16-year-old kid that they got it out of. Um, there's just times in this world when you, you just got an eviction notice uh, way back when. Yeah, yeah. Although there are there are examples of people having the skulls trepanned. We're gonna get we're we're, we're gonna get to that. Keep going. More questions. <laughs> Have you got another A and B, Griff? I do. I do. Sorry, that was that was a, a phone call coming in. Probably a complaint. <laughs> <laughs> we have, we have put it out yet. Get on with it. We've, oh yeah. Get on with the Delta Green questions. Damn it. Okay then. Would you the last question? Really, really quickly. Would you rather fight a gorilla or a hundred slots? That's just not fair to the sloths. Sloths are just the least. They're just so. I could pick the sloths up and like put them in boxes, like one at a time, you know. But they'd climb very slowly. I, I, out I, I, to I, what to if you. they very slowly? What if they joined up? Became like mega sloths. Well, if they joined together, well, it depends what you mean by sloths. If that's if it's that megatherium, you know, giant prehistoric sloth, then I'm I'm a, a hundred of them. I'm a dead man. But if it's just some like green sloth from Brazil or something, you know, I'm I will take on the sloths. I don't honestly want to fight sloths. I because it feels like mean. It just feels like you know, you know. Would you like to? Would you rather fight a hundred year old man or a hundred one year olds? You know, I I just answered the question, Adam. I'll, I'll fight sloths. I'll fight the sloths. I'll fight the sloths because I will. I can. I can. I can I win. Feel bad. I can, I'll feel bad, but I'll, I'll win that one. <laughs> You know, apparently sloths are the only animals that moss grows on. That is correct, as far as I know. I just can't. I just can't believe they have to come down to the trees to poop. I mean, you think that they, if they spent all the, you know, they're designed for upside down in trees, they would have, I don't know, tilted their butthole in a way so that they don't have to expose themselves to danger. But those poor bastards have to come down on the ground. Is it slight design flaw? Uh, yeah, well, there's any number of design flaws. Let's be honest. Yeah. Okay, so let's get on to the, 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 the next part of what we do in our podcast, which is, uh, do you have, well, we've already just discussed this before anyone will have heard it, but you said you have a, a, a tale of something that happened last week that was terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like you to regale us with that. All right, so I'm in a parking lot of a grocery store. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm coming out. Um, I'm walking to my truck, and uh, I see a homeless guy moving to intercept me, and I know what I'm going to hear. I'm going to hear uh, a pitch, a sales pitch. Um, and I don't know. I'm not, yes, because I'm a big guy, I'm not intimidated by homeless people the way some people are. Um, but he's a little tiny fella, a little tiny fella. He's, he's probably my age, but the mileage is 
use a lot more. So he's skinny. Uh, he's small. He's wearing a dirty baseball cap. He's got like a, a backpack on and a relatively warm jacket. He's wearing like, you know, something that's got padding inside and stuff. And he's wearing a hospital mask. Now, I'm still one of the fools who masks up when he goes to the grocery store because uh, I got people in my family who have uh, uh, compromised immunity. And uh, and then, Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm still someone who masks up. Anyways, uh, he's wearing a hospital mask, paper hospital mask. And he says, excuse me, you know, um, I'm wondering if you could possibly help me out. I just got out of the hospital after having an accident. And um, as I'm, I, put, I think I put my groceries in the, we had actually put my tr groceries in the truck and it turned to face him. And he says, yeah, I just got out of the hospital. You know, I had this accident and I'm looking, you know, for someone. He takes his baseball cap off. And he shows me his brain. Oh. What? Wow. He shows me his <laughs> brain. The top of his bald head has a patch of skin, uh, sort of square, that has been cut out hmm. of his skull. And in the middle of it is a round hole. A round hole that um, has some sort of medical uh, packing in it that I can see. This sterilized plastic paper stuff that you might imagine. It reminded me of the kind of stuff you put down under a cat litter box to catch the ear. Do you know what I mean? It's plastic. Mm, yeah. yeah. But that's crumpled up and stuffed into this hole, but not perfectly. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I can see how thick his skull is because I'm getting a view into the hole where I can see where the top of the skull starts and where it stops and below it is blackness. Wow. The bone is very yellow. And I've seen someone run over by a car. Not a car, a truck, huge, like, you know, semi-tractor trailer. A small girl. But it happened in the street. And you expect there to be dangers in the street. You know, you expect like seeing a car accident. It didn't years later it doesn't it is wasn't that sh it's not that shocking because it was in the right time and it was in the right place. I, I attended a, an autopsy one time and saw a body unpacked, uh, a brain removed from a skull, uh, organs sampled, you know, the whole nine yards, everything you expect to see mm. in an autopsy. But I was in an autopsy theater with, you know, forensics specialists who were doing this process. I expected to see that. I was not expecting to see a man casually show me his brain in the parking lot of a grocery oh. store. And I am absolutely positive that per COC rules, I took a sand hit and made my idea wrong. <laughs> Jesus. I was like, and here's the thing most disturbing thing was his absolute and utter and complete casualness about it. Right. Um, now I, my first thought was like, Oh my God, what, when did this, how did this? And he's like, well, you know, um, they, I was in the hospital, but you know, and I've got to go back. They're supposed to do more work. And I'm thinking, Christ, I hope they are because you don't have a plate in place. 
do, and my part of my brain is like, do you not know? Do you not know that, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on here exactly, but come with me. And I said, uh, stay here, wait outside the grocery store. I went to the ATM, I pulled out a hundred bucks, came back out, stuffed it in his hand. And I said, you need to get under the, you need to get inside. I don't know if you, you need to get inside and you, you do not need to be outside. You do not need to be rough. I don't, he starts trying to tell me some more story. And I, I don't care. I don't care what the story is. You need to get, you need to take this and you need to get undercover. Now, I don't know what he's going to use it for. I have no idea. You know, I talked to a number of friends who are medical professionals. They, they, they said they found it hard to believe that even the most overloaded of, of, of charity hospitals, I guess it would be Harvard here in Seattle, would push a guy out the door with his brain open to the elements. Not even the, the piece of bone reinserted into the place. Now, I get that they take that out because if you had brain swelling, they need some place for your brain to go. And that, that opening the top of the skull relieves the pressure. I understand that. Makes perfect sense. Mm. But the idea that let him walk out of the world like that is pretty hard to believe. There's a very good chance that he simply stepped out against medical advice. Because yeah, he signed himself out, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, that that he had an appointment with something else. Whether it was he didn't sound crazy. I couldn't tell. He didn't look. Uh, he didn't have the. He didn't have the scratch marks that I expect to see with uh, with meth uh, addiction. Couldn't see his teeth, obviously, because of the mask. So I don't know if he stepped out because <clears throat> there was a drug he needed to get to that was more important than his brain being covered. I don't know. I don't know why he's out on the street. Uh, I don't know what he's going to use that money for. I have the slightest clue. Um, but that's the closest I've come to. I mean, when I got home, the first thing I did was pour a huge tumbler of bourbon and throw it back <laughs> like it was iced tea and then pour a second. You know, it was one of the most shocking things that has ever happened to me. I haven't even had, I haven't even written about it on social media. That's the first time I've talking about it in public but yeah absolutely there's my moment i don't know if that's a it's hardly a ghost mm. story but we were talking about what seeing the dead walk and um yeah the idea, as well yeah and the idea that um you could have an injury that heinous and just be strolling around with a dirty baseball cap mm. between you and your brain i could have pushed my fingers into that hole that's how big it was. Mm. It's absolutely yeah. horrifying. Well, I think we should end it here. It's going to be sick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, glad that I was able to bring the mood up. Well, yeah, it, it, it's generally <laughs> the kind of thing we expect here. It, it, it is proper, proper horror. That is proper horror. That is something that I'm going to struggle to sleep with secondhand tonight. I'm going to worry about that. You're welcome. It's like you said. It's like you said, what is that reason that he's not got it sorted? That's like... Yeah. That's dark. What, whatever that is, that is a dark yeah, thing. It is. Um, welcome to late stage capitalism. <laughs> I don't know if the NHS would turn that guy out, but our hospitals just might. You know no, I mean? they wouldn't say people would have to sign themselves out. They would they'd, they'd have to go the nurses yeah. here actually care to, yeah, to be fair. Okay, so I as I've did with the other guys, mm -hmm. the other dark dream guys, um I went online, I went to Reddit, I went to various Discord channels, and I asked them if they had any questions for you. And we got a 
a lot of questions. Um, me and Griff are going to just, because uh, I'm sure you've been asked a million times, like, how did you get into game and all that kind of thing. So we're going to go ra- ra- kind of bypass all that and just get on and, and ask you questions that that are fans of Delta Green and fans of your work want to, want to know. So the way I've worked it out is, um, Griff, I'll start and then I'll end. I've got, I think, I've got one more question. Okay. This is from uh, this guy's asked four questions. Griff's got two of them. By uh, by you, kid. Your favorite album for putting on during creative work, if any. I'll admit that I am uh, I I am a fan of ambient for working. So I will put on things like Tangerine Dream or uh, maybe Clint Mansell uh, or um, folks like that. So I just have soundscape uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's probably the, the that's probably the best stuff to use if I uh, because otherwise I might I might connect to the lyrics. Okay, Clint Clint was a uh, uh, I grew up with Clint because he's from my well not my hometown next door mm-hmm. Stourbridge and he, he of course was in Populate itself which was my local mm-hmm. pub band electronic silly music. And so him becoming an amazing Hollywood composer, I mean, really serious stuff as well, really, really mm-hmm. brilliant stuff. It's like you look at him and go, I just remember when you used to be drunk in the pub, <laughs> you know, jumping over the bar and throwing beer over your friends and running around and doing silly yeah. dancing. All that all that stuff hidden. Yeah, well, you know. Not anymore. Everybody, I was going to say, everybody started off drunk in the pub. Basically, um, some of my favorite, some of my the... least favorite dictators started off drunk in the pub, and yet somehow, <laughs> you know, are in charge. Of... Least famous implies you've got favorite dictators. No, I really don't. I, <laughs> I, I, I have a grudging admiration for Julius Caesar. He is, and you know, he was an yeah, he was an anti-democratic authoritarian force, but um, he was smart enough to recognize that the oligarchs at the time had abandoned. Had just abandoned any sense of noblesse oblige, and that the population was restless. And if they, if they couldn't get what they wanted through democracy, that is to say, land reform, um, they'd get it through an authoritarian. You know, um, and uh, you know, so I have a grudging admiration for him. At least he could see a problem that the upper classes, the ruling class, the political class refused to deal with because it might hurt their wallet a little. How things have changed? No. No, not at all. I, I suspect um, in some ways that is the that is the uh, key to any populist who's on his way to being an authoritarian is to identify a gripe that is not being addressed and then portray yourself as the only guy who can fix it. Mm. But luckily, at no point will Clint Mansell ever uh, launch a pogrom, uh, we hope. <laughs> Uh, but if he does, it's going to sound great. I mean, that's all. <laughs> yes. I mean, okay. <laughs> I, before we carry on, I saw Tangerine Dream once, right, mm-hmm. at a club opening in Liverpool, a big club, and I used to do first aid with the St. John Ambulance. And they came on, and they were on for 45 minutes, and then they went off, and I thought the whole t- time they were tuning up. <laughs> <laughs> for 45 minutes and I, I was like I, they left the stage and everyone cheered there was like 
when are they going to start? Yeah, well, apparently these Germans are just perfectionists about getting their their instruments yeah. just right. And they're like, okay, they're perfect. Go, <laughs> bye. Well, they used keyboards you had to tune, didn't they? Like the old Moogs, you had to tune them in. Yep. Anyway, what's your first question, Griff? Okay, then, uh, my next, well, the next question, uh, by the same guy, by your kid, um, what are your favorite short stories, Lovecraftian or otherwise, just short, short form fiction? Well, let me see. Um, I often defer to David Drake's story, uh, then Curse the Darkness, as one of the best sort of Lovecraftian Cthulhu mythos horror stories ever, because it answers the age-old question, why would anyone want to become cultist uh, in, the, in the world of the Cthulhu mythos? And the answer is, you live in King Leopold's Congo Free State. You are a local tribesman currently being uh, oppressed by the force public and being horribly abused, you know, and, you know, and the only way out is of this horrifying situation is to reach down into the dark gods and pull out something that if it ends the world, fine, at least it'll end your suffering at the hands of these mercenary armies that are, you know, squeezing the life's blood out of your, you and your people. Um, yeah. and, and the forces of civilization that are beating back, you know, the barbarous cultists of the story are monsters, you know, and, uh, it, it, it does, it, it's, um, it's, it's one I always like to reach for is just being a story that, um, absolutely just jumped out and really did, really did a good job. Uh, Carl Edward Wagner's Sticks is another one that, that absolutely delivers, uh, a good gut punch, much like Stephen King's The Boogeyman. Although I guess The Boogeyman in some ways has, um, I mean, it owes a little, well, I don't know if it owes a little bit to um, The Small Assassin by uh, Ray Bradbury. Um, but uh, yeah, The Boogeyman by um, by Stephen King is always, always a pretty effective short story. I'll have a hard time saying anything bad about King's short stories. I think he was really, really, really good at it. I know there's no money in it. I understand that. I'm sorry, but he was he was really good at delivering in a couple thousand words. It's a you know now it's a couple thousand pages, and I I get the economy economics of this, and I get that at some point your your successful trajectory you're uneditable, you know. But I thought when he when he turned out something good and tight, oh man, there's not a wasted letter on the page. Those are the those are the, I guess uh, I would throw out some of those as some of the most effective short stories that I can sort of conjure up in recent times um, that have really, you know, landed pretty you know, well, not that recent. Those stories were all from the uh, mm -hmm. 80s, the uh, 70s, 80s, and I think, yeah, 60s, I think, from Sticks. Um, but those are some of the most effective short stories. Okay, I've got one from uh, Batman Will Die in Ach, don't ask. What is your favorite faction in Delta Green? Let's see. That's a tough one. I started off being quite in love with Majestic 12 because I really enjoyed the that genre of conspiracy. It's harder to enjoy it now that people are voting based on their belief in the deep state or the out of control, you know, unaccountable power of government or whatever, you know, which, sure, there's unaccountability and there's problems there, but they're not selling us to aliens, okay? They're not. They're just not, and uh, that shouldn't govern how you vote. 
Um, but I always enjoyed that on the grounds that um, they were, it was a, it was a nice place to, I could explore the various reasons that people do terrible things. Some of it's selfishness, some of it's career advancement, some of it's they believe they're doing a greater good. It's all the justifications that built the uh, built the Nazi regime, you know? Guys who just did it to climb their career. They don't believe any of it. They just don't care. They just do. They're selfish, you know? Oh, wow, look at this art that I've collected from across Europe. They're enriching themselves. They're... Um, Look, we're going to advance the realms of science, say all those Germans who put people in bariatric chambers, you know? I mean, there's there's mm. all these things that contribute to people making the absolute worst moral decisions possible. And so, and yet be able to go home, kiss their kids, pet the cat, feed the dog, you know, kiss their wife, mm. and feel like a good person, you know, because they made the right decision. So that 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 was one of the most things I always loved about them. I really like Dennis's work. It's not really a faction, but I love Dennis's work. Dennis Devlin's work on um, Project Rainbow by turning the conspiracy theory about the Philadelphia experiment into a tilling gas resonator from the short story from mm. Beyond. That was Chef's Kiss. That's how you do Delta Green. You take a real life conspiracy theory, and then you find a mythos opening. You find a way to uh, you kind of blur the lines, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Majestic 12 has that, where, you know, John Tyne says, okay, sure, there's a UFO, but it's really the Migo behind it. They're just using hand puppets mm. that are anthropomorphic so that the frightened, adrenaline-filled monkeys don't freak out, and they're essentially recruiting the most powerful entity on the planet, the United States, that has the nuclear bomb in 1948. They're recruiting the most powerful entity on the planet to be their new cult rather than those backwoods cultists that they had back in, you know, Whisper and Darkness. Who needs those limos when you've got guys who have nukes and, uh, you know, battleships and the FBI at their disposal, you know. Just, Plausible just, deniability and yeah. everything else, yeah. Yeah, so um, that was really delightful as well. I I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed the Scopsy, but they're based on real stuff. I enjoyed the, um, a lot of things like the, uh, the Karatekia. I enjoyed the Karatekia quite a bit. I had a kind of a free hand to write that. And I enjoyed writing the Pisces material a lot because I got to just absolutely wallow like a pig in shit in my love of British British television, British fiction, British science fiction. You know, um, Pisces is a giant love letter to uh, the Prisoner, Doctor Who, all the Quatermass films and uh, TV series created. Um, that's what that is, you know. That is, you know, Hell Blake Seven. You know, that 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 was that's that was that's what that is. Just a giant love letter to, you know, Gary and Sylvia Anderson and everybody else who created some of the most amazing science fiction stuff that just, you know, uh, desperately filled the gap that Americans had between um, Star Trek and Star Wars. That that howling wilderness that we lived in. Um. Majestic may be my favorite, and one of the reasons it still remains my favorite is because, congratulations, Delta Green players playing in the new world. You beat Majestic by becoming Majestic. You are now in the same position. You yeah, are now going yeah. to make all kinds of terrible decisions and try and justify them so you can go home and be with your family and tell yourself everything's okay. I'm making I'm making the right world choices for a better tomorrow, for a better world. So, so there. Interestingly, you don't say the cult of transcendence. 
the cult of transcendence is something that I worked on, but it wasn't something that I, yeah. I, I, I worked on it a lot of, but I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't get to come up with it from scratch. Um, there are elements inside the cult of transcendence that, um, I love. I'm a big fan of the True Love Study Group. I like the idea. I like the lamplighters and this idea of, a, of a, an organization created by one mythos group that is suborned by another. I love the house in Stockholm. I love there's that point where you could end up opening the front door and you're on a, you're on a rock orbiting Azathoth. You know? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Goodbye! Even that as well. Goodbye, yeah. sanity! Boom! <laughs> you know, that's just... <laughs> worse than looking in the worse than looking in the moonroof that guy had at the top of his head. Um, but yeah, uh, there are elements of that I really liked, and even characters. In it. But um, it, the thing it did that I really enjoyed, and Ken Height applied a lot of this, was it was the anti-conspiracy theory of conspiracy. We want the, the idea that there's this world-girding conspiracy, and they're the Illuminati, or they aspire to be the Illuminati, right? And they have changed history, but it never works out the way they plan. All they, yeah, they they never, uh, Ken called them the conspiracy that couldn't shoot straight. And I, I like that because in, in, in one way, that sort of is my general attitude about conspiracy theories. The idea of these silent, you know, massive influential organizations can exist and chart the course of mankind from behind the scenes no no they can't it's that it's it's that whole chaos for the area it's that butterfly effect there's too many variables they can make a change it will have a result it will not be predictable it may not benefit them things will happen that will benefit them that had nothing to do with their plans you know they can sit around afterwards and drink you know brandy out of snifters and, and tell each other how smart they were that they you know they affected the world but it's going to be accidents and so I, I I do enjoy that part of the cult of transcendence that they are the failed Illuminati that in a desperate attempt to to stay relevant and stay in the to keep trying to change a world that is changing faster than they could ever hope to control it they reached for the mythos and it ate them so I do like that aspect of them I think that yeah they but they were they weren't my favorite they weren't my favorite uh, uh, faction. Um, and it's going to sound weird uh, because it was harder to imagine myself on the inside looking out. You know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to Majestic where you could imagine yourself doing what yeah, you do, then exactly. going home to your wife um, and kids. Um, and that that yeah. allowed, that, that connection to somebody, and it's one of the things I really love about some of our and uh, our antagonists is that uh, any number of our problems we have, they're, they're, fam they're still family men. They still believe in a strong family. Just ask the Scopsy, you know? Um, um, uh, or the yeah, uh, yeah. or the Demont clan from New Orleans, the ghouls who had to adapt to uh, they had to adapt to a, a, a an environment that while it was producing tons of dead bodies, you couldn't plant them underground. You can't have ghoul tunnels in the swamps of New Orleans. So they've had to change for their environment, and they've changed so much that other ghouls think that they are cosplaying as food. Why are you acting like the food? You know what I mean? They, 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 the demands make no mm. sense or repulsive yeah. to other rules because they're more like us. You think they'd move, wouldn't you? <laughs> Let's move somewhere with the grounds for him. <laughs> New Orleans is a corpse factory of the cities of, of America yeah. in that century with the yellow fever. 
being something you don't sort out until the early teens. New Orleans would lose in the summer. The rich would move to their plantations away from the city. They'd move into the, they'd go into the countryside. And they'd have these yellow fever outbreaks that would kill 15, 20, 30% of the population every year. But there was so much money to be made in New Orleans. People would move right back in to fill the empty space left by all the dead people. I mean, it's a banquet for ghouls. Mm. Why, how could you pass it up? Yeah, but yeah. it means you have to change if you want to succeed in this new environment. And they, they, and so that was, you know, again, even the mythos, you know, the eternal, unchanging mythos, you know, it adapts and changes. So while we're on the subject of Pisces, you might as well just go over the couple of Pisces questions we've got because obviously, absolutely, absolutely. I've, I'll, I'll go first. I think you've got a couple there as well. Yeah, Beth. I do. Um, is it true? This is from the same guy. Batman will die in a. Is it true that the upcoming Delta Green book, PC, Pieces, <laughs> I think that's meant to be Pisces, had to be completely rewritten after being nearly finished? No, no. It's just going through a real massive edit. That's all. And when, and, and, okay. and, I'll, and I would say that some of it, certainly what I got to work on was not completely done. I certainly was handed sections that said, we should finish this. So, you know, I am finishing it. I've added a lot of material. I've polished up a lot of stuff. I've um, stayed true to the author's original intent, I hope. Um, but uh, uh, changed some forward and had a lot of formatting changes. There's maybe one thing that I changed. Well, here's the here's the main thing that I changed. This was it came in at about 89,000, 88,000 words. And I read the document, sort of the files in order as they were given to me. There is the point of the new Pisces material. I didn't get to it until I was like 76,000 words into the document. <laughs> the kicker, the, they buried the lead. The thing that made it incredible, the thing that made it, you want, to, you want it, that you want to play it, you want to have it. That part was not revealed until 76,000 words to me. To, this is, hmm. But the, the Shan, no, the Shan, no, no, no. The thing is, this is a no. new Pisces material is post Shan, sort of. We fixed oh, it. Okay. Remember how we fixed the problem with Delta Green, where, uh, gee, we don't have a budget, we don't have an office, we don't have um, support. And, oh wow, we fought the war with Majestic, and we've assumed all their resources, and now everything's fixed, right? Everything's better at Delta Green with the program, or is it? Well, Pisces, oh my God, we've been suborned by an alien invasion. The thing that the, 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 the human organization that's intended to protect, you know, Her Majesty's government and the realm from uh, paranormal, preternatural mythos horrors has been taken over by a mythos horror. The call is coming from inside the house. How do we, how do we fix this? Well, it's fixed. And like... <laughs> You know, we did with Delta Green, be careful what you wish for, because we can always make it worse. And these writers came <laughs> they, these writers came up with a way to make it worse. They came up with a great way to make it worse. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely being upfront about that. It's fantastic. But they buried the lead. And I had to go back in and sort of rearrange, uh, I've gone back in and rearranged these documents to pull that forward and make sure that it is presented right mm -hmm. up front uh for the handler so he's like you know 
here's what, you know, everything's fixed. No, it's not. And then here's the problem. Here's the new problem, the new sort of <laughs> Damocles that's hanging over you and everybody else in this, this new world that's been created. Um, and um, so, yeah, yeah, it, it's, I did, yes. I've done a lot of rewriting on it. Um, I'm almost done. Um, and uh, I'll be turning it back. I'll be turning it back, back to Shane. Finish. I'm down to, I guess, uh, pop up in the file. I can pop up in the file. I'm right in the middle of their material about um, uh, Pisces store of, of mythos related tomes and where they keep them and under what circumstances right. they are accessed and the protocols for using the stuff and, and looking at the stuff and sort of that. And then I think um, the only thing I've got after that is go back into Magonia, which is the, the prison that they created under St. Kilda uh, or Herta, I think is the island of the St. Kilda archipelago. I can't remember which one it is yeah. off the top of my head. Um, but uh, yeah, when I find out there was a, there was a bunch of rocky islands off the northern tip of Scotland that uh, the population had been evacuated in 1932 and it had been turned into a Ministry of Defense radar site. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's where you put the village. You know, that's where you put, you know, the the secret. Yeah, the secret the underground guys. prison You know, that might as well be on the surface of the moon because holy shit, those islands are those islands are brutal. I don't understand. How oh yeah, you ain't you ain't escaping from them without a big boat or an airplane. Yeah, I, I never swim into anywhere. I just could not believe uh, that people lived there for that long, you know. But uh, they they did. They tried to eke it out on those islands. It just uh, you know just amazed me. But um, anyways, what are we doing? I should be surprised. We have Inuit. You know, why don't the Inuit just go south, right? But no, nope, this is it. This is their environment. They're on the ice flows. They're hunting through uh, breathing holes, you know. They live in a world where, or they lived in a world where every product was an animal product, where the only, <laughs> it's a great film called uh, Anjaran, it's called The Fast Runner. There's a first name, the name of the main character, and The Fast Runner, and it's a film made by Inuit, about Inuit. You can't tell what time period it's set in because there's no, at no point does any technology show up from, and that's identifiable from outside Inuit culture. So it could be the 1600s. It could be the 900s. You don't know. You just you have no clue. You, you just don't know. They're out of contact with the rest of the world. They're up there doing their own stuff. And um, one of the things that they did in that film, they just, they just did all the things where it's like, yeah, you carry your water bottle under your parka so it'll stay liquid. You you know, you uh, your food is warmed up with burning seal fat. It is not cooked. It is not cooked. There's not enough fuel to cook food. You warm it up enough so it's not frozen, and then you chew it. That's that's it, you know. And it's it's oddly one of the it's it's the one of the most easy films I've ever seen in my life, where people eat all the time in the film. They just they're just like Babette's feast or something, and it's a, an incredible primer on on sort of aspects of that culture. But uh, yeah, people live up there and didn't move. So why should they leave? Why should they give up St. Kilda? It's their it's their ten square feet of. Uh, dirt and they're going to hold on to it but yeah um it is being it, it got a it got a treatment from me how about that i wouldn't say it was rewritten it was not rewritten from scratch but it was definitely reorganized they had great ideas they had great writing they did great characters and all i did was sort of rearrange the red strings on the red string board a little bit you know mm. 
to smooth yeah. some things out in some rough spots, you know. But I'm a perfectionist, and Pisces was my baby, so I may have held on to it longer than I should have. Not then. Do you know? I I think that's allowed. I, it's allowed. Yeah. I, I mean, I backed the original Delta Green Kickstarter in 2016, and that is the book I'm still looking forward to the most. Pisces. My apologies. Because it's our it's our doorstep, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And let me assure you, yes, it's worse. You know, whatever you whatever you thought the problem good. was, good. <laughs> yeah, it's it, there's uh, there are going to be there are going to be problems. There, there are going to be there there's going to be calls from inside the house. There's going to be calls from outside the house. It's it's it ain't over, you know. Uh, so you will. Um, I think you'll be happy with the projection forward mm. and the fallout of what has happened. One of the things that I wanted to put into this story is an old Cold War trope that um, the UK was always beholden to the United States when it came to military and intelligence things. That the, 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 when it came to a, a never-ending pit of money that could be called on, it was always the United States. And certainly one of the things that comes up in a lot of the car stories is the idea, and, and even in like things like The Sandbaggers, which is one of my all-time favorite spy mm. story series, was that when it came to time to do something dirty and deniable, the Americans would always show up at British intelligence with a fucking bag of money the size of Montana, you know, and be like, <laughs> so I hear you guys are good at something besides, you know, eavesdropping on people's emails or whatever. I mean, the, the, the reputation was Britain, Britain ran human for, you know, Western intelligence and, the United States could monitor radar and listen to phone calls, and you know, but could not do human to save their lives. Um, or at least there are any number of examples from history of where they've blown it. Um, and um, so part of the story involves, uh, part of the new Pisces material involves, yeah, Delta Green helped Pisces out. And now they're walking around like they fucking own the place. And so now they're like, oh, yeah. yeah They've showed up with, you know, uh, they're, they're, you know, we fixed it again, and they're doing that. Well, we bailed you out three times now, three world, two world wars, and now this, you know, it's that kind of shit. Um, and they're throwing their weight around inside Pisces, um, not the least of which because they're coming up a lot of the budget, one of the reasons it still exists, and that the other agencies didn't dismantle all of Pisces' functions and steal them for themselves is because the, the Americans are like, oh, well, We'll bankroll it. You don't have to fight over the budget. We just want, you know, a little say here and there about what happens. A favor, a favorite once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, one hand washing the other. Yeah. And that can, what's, and what's <laughs> good for America isn't, or the program isn't necessarily good for the UK. Mm-hmm. No, so there's crazy. that aspect that I've, I tried to punch up in the story because I wanted there to be more tension between uh, the program showing up, the Delta Ring program showing up. And uh, getting involved in Pisces, Pisces, getting all up in their business. Well, Pisces have been around longer in the history, haven't they? Exactly. They, 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 they've started. Yeah, um, yeah they, uh, Churchill's rolling them out right after. I mean, literally naming them and rolling them out right after the fall of France. But the British, uh, there's more because of the Royal Psychical Society and the the, 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 the huge interest in in um, the paranormal that swept uh, Victorian society. The British get a head start on this shit anyways. I mean, yes, Americans go through their phase of interest in the supernatural, um, I guess. And and, and 
And it doubles down for the British, I guess, after World War I because of the lost generation. Everybody wants to know that their lost loved ones are okay. At least that's the way I perceive it, is that there's, you know, the, but America gets it in the 1920s, Brits get the double down in the 1920s. But it feels like England in, in British uh, Empire, sort of because you were exposed to so many more cultures. I mean, yes, okay, you're oppressing them, but you you were exposed to so many more cultures and places than Americans where all we did was march across the continent. And if we couldn't, you know, and, and you know, keep pushing the American Indians uh, west until they were on Alcatraz, then we wouldn't even let them keep that. We didn't have the same kind of imperial uh, experience, and um, our contact with beliefs in the supernatural and other beliefs is so much more limited and sort of, I don't know, the opposite of cosmopolitan. But England has this, had this global 19th century empire to absorb all these beliefs from. It's kind of like, you know, when the cult of Isis uh, shows up in Rome. You know, the Romans are like, oh, cool, another god, whatever, mm. you know, and, and just roll with it. <laughs> Thought this the yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can we put a Latin name on it or whatever? And then they just move on. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I've, you know, the British Empire feels like it brought home a lot of these these uh, other experiences and other cultural things that uh, they made their way back. And, yes, they got filtered through Orientalism and all that kind of romanticism. But, yeah, you know, it... it uh, England got a head start on the world of spiritualism and interest in the supernatural and interest in scientifically documenting it, finding out there's really a way to apply math to the supernatural. They were up front. So Pisces has got to be up front of Delta Green. It's just got to be. It's interesting you you're talking about British spies being able to do human. Yeah. Because do you remember that conversation we had, Griff, about you got to use your the company where for got in a guy who was because you were doing a spy game to talk about spies mm. um, and about how the British spies were the most personable, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, one would hope. And and that was reflected by other agencies as well. They would they would talk to British spies. Oh, I'm not speaking out of turn there, but I, I didn't say too much. No, he didn't say too much. I think it no. was what's his name, wasn't it? Um, uh, a, a lot of Europe British spies came out of sort of before there was like MI5 and MI6. Um, oh, they came out of the 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 the, the foreign service. Yes, foreign service, and they and and the thing is, um, they had French cousins and German cousins and Russian cousins because these were pan-European families, so they all knew each other. So everybody, they, they, they were mm -hmm. good at gossiping. And yeah. No, I, I, I totally buy that. I mean, mm. that makes perfect sense. And yes, yeah, it, it's, it, it was a different age before, uh, mm. the, uh, before the First World War. Um, it amazes me how mm. the, the long reach of what we think of as the early modern era, the, the post-fall post, uh, mm. of Rome, Renaissance, you know, families, Hohenzollerns, Habsburgs, I sort of forgotten the czars, the name of the czars family, because I'm a genius. But mm. the, the long reach of these families through the centuries is, is kind of amazing. And it, it kind of comes to an end, I guess. It will. That's maybe the main, it, 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 mm. if it's not done in then, it is done by the second. But mm. yeah, mm. it was all a matter of who you knew and who your connections were. It's like, well, why did they always recruit from the best people, the best families? It's because they have a head start. Mm. They've already been to these places. They've learned to speak the language. They know people there already. They spent the first you know, 18 years of their life in training. Mm. So yeah, mm. that's awesome. Okay, 
So we've got a couple more questions, which um, which Griff's got. Yes. I can see at least two more on Pisces there. Yeah, well, hat tip to B. Traven, because I think he's just asked your question in a different way, and I think that was a great answer. Um, the next one I've got on Pisces, I think this is a great question, and it's sort of carrying on this theme, is from Critical Troll. Does Pisces have... Zero zero agents who are authorized to kill other Pisces on suspicion of being infected. Um, there is uh, a there is a system in place um, inside Pisces when it comes to a number of their assets that they've now developed mm. that are assets, and that includes assets that use hypergeometry, and because they're more likely to use hypergeometry program, or at least. They'll admit to it. Oh, another reason the Americans keep reaching to them, saying, hey, we would like a ritual done, and it's super dangerous. We don't want to do it anywhere near America. How about you perform it in, in Sheffield? <laughs> you know? You know? Um, uh, so, you know, they have these assets, and they're more likely to, to – they've got a longer history of reaching for uh, hypergeometry as a means of accomplishing anti-unnatural operations mm. because of its efficacy. And um, they definitely have people who are assigned to those assets to make sure if shit goes haywire, if the asset turns, you uh, terminate the asset. So they do it. It's even in it's even in field operations. Um, they're they're minders. They're babysitters are also there to put them down. Uh, they're on one hand they're there to take a bullet for them while they're operationally effective in order to get the job done, but they're also 100% capable of dropping if uh, things go poorly. Um, there are they have those also for some of the people involved with the psychical capacity. Although the and the problem with that is not that psychic powers are super are overpowered. It's not that you're you know uh, the little girl Andy McGee from Firestarter or Carrie. You know, mm. um, it's not that those powers are like that. But psychical ability, which gives a uh, various slight advantages, is an open door to unnatural things getting into your head and making it worse for you. You are you are literally the submarine with the screen door. So they are they have their own miners uh, that are there to make sure that if something happens like that, they are neutralized as a threat. As for people who are infested by the sham, they've uh, without spoiling too much, they have protocols for. Uh, what to do when they find people who are infested. And it's not just to give them a, not, not trepan them with, uh, you know, a load of, yeah, or a double on buck. You know, it's, it's they, they're not interested in that. They've got, um, well, let's see if I can put it this way. There are some very bright people who've come into Pisces from the outside after the Shine were eliminated as the controlling force inside the Shine. Very, very bright, very smart people who never, ever, ever, ever have to do anything more than read about when shit goes wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the file. Here's how shit went wrong. Well, that sounds terrible. That number 39, that seems like a lot of dead people. Hmm. It's those kind of guys. They're, they're you know, and again, they're, they're, they're really bright and they, they can think outside the box and they've come up with all kinds of new ways that Pisces can be more useful and more effective at its job and let's just say that they view, much like certain parts of the program view, everything could be an asset if we just learn how to use it right. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> 
just for the people who are listening, uh, Mr. Glancy's just given us a really strange look. <laughs> so can I just say as well, as well, when when you started to talk about that stuff, it must be really good because you're right. I started twitching. <laughs> When you were thinking about it. So whatever it is, is really clever. It's really good stuff. No, it's not my idea. That's the best part. It's the, uh, the original authors. I should put that out there. I'm just like. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I hope that answers everyone's questions about Pisces. It, as I say, it's the book I'm most looking mm. forward to. Uh, that and Fallen Towers, because I love mm-hmm. the fate. But, I, but, you know, we're talking eight years now. Don't be waiting for these. So I can wait. It's a period longer. piece. Come on. It can, it'll, it'll get there eventually. You'll just go back in time and play your character. It's play your character as a young man. You know, I'm sure that'll work out. <laughs> well, Delta Green has a kind of as form for this, doesn't it? Like play a character and then play them ten years later. Yeah, someday I hope to. Um, I have a campaign idea that I'm hoping to drop, which is the basically you know a century campaign where you start mm-hmm. off in the 1920s, the end of the 2020s, and every ten years there's a scenario, oh, okay. and so the characters can get older. But eventually you're going to need new characters. And how the later characters do in the campaign depends on what information the guys collected 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. That sounds like it could be really good. And you get to yeah. experience Delta Green in every every decade of the 20th century. During the Cold War, during World War II, during... Uh, during Bone Box and everything else. and um, Not Bone Box, um, yeah. Puzzle Box. So you'll... You, and the Innsmouth Raid and all yeah, that. Yeah, so you'll, you'll, you'll get sort of yeah you'll get a taste of what it's like in these time periods when it's just the office of naval intelligence when it's you know when delta green is first forming and becoming you know part of the oss and then uh scenarios that take place during the cold war scenarios that take place when it's just the cowboys and it's just an ad hoc group of vigilantes pretending to have you know Mm. and the best part about it, I'm very happy about, it, is that the problem, the problem that that is being faced, that you're going to face, the problem doesn't change, but humanity changes and technology changes, and all of that is going to make the problem so much worse. Um, it never makes things better, does it? Well, well, people say, people <laughs> always, always go <laughs> cell phones and computers, and instant communication. That ruins horror. That ruins the isolation. You know, well, how can you have horror if you have a cell phone? Yep. Let me assure you that uh, the characters in this, in this, by the time they figure out what the problem is, will probably be throwing their fucking cell phones out the window as characters. Just, just nope, don't own one. Not going to have yeah. one. Yeah, just never. Well, the fact is you're trackable on it for a start. Yeah, that's... That's, and that's before things start interfering yeah, with yes, it. Yes, that's that's just as as off the, off the shelf. Here's your tracking device handed out by the. Talk about your conspiracies. Why the fuck does Bill Gates at Microsoft have to give us a vaccine with a tracker in it when we're all tearing around every last one of us? These tracking devices exactly, that listen yeah. <laughs> and and can see and and what. What the hell, man? Really? That's it? Nanites? That's your big idea? You're carrying the spy shop in your pocket. <laughs> the call is from coming from inside the call. Yeah, people. Just... And, not, and not just that. You're gonna be you're gonna be begging one from about six years old. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You didn't have to, my tracking device. You didn't have to put up CCTV in in I mean you did in England, but you know. Here, we go and buy our own surveillance equipment to surveil ourselves. The the cost to the government is just 
zero as far as hardware goes. And every year we get better ones. Yeah. Every year we get better ones to make yeah. it easier. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. And you're worried about an injection. You have not thought this. And and I mean, that's a run the theme, isn't it? <laughs> You've done and every year. <laughs> you, it becomes more intimate into your life and takes over more of the things that you do day to day and mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. phone oriented. Yep. Hell, you mm. keep your grocery list on it. You keep your pantry program that tells you what things are in your house. You know, you boy, everything. Amazing. Uh, yeah. It. It. Uh, the only thing it can't do yet, and I'm sure there's apps for that. Is that I mean. Okay, there's is to be a, it has it's not quite a tricorder. You can't hold it like Leonard Nemo and go, sir. There's a group of alien creatures thirty meters away and closing. Oh, yeah, that's, but that's, <laughs> that's not that far off. This is going to beat the shit out of the tricorder. You know, it's just. But you can get a flare attachment, mm -hmm. can't you? You can get a heat detector attachment that just clips yeah. in the bottom, turns into a into a into a heat a heat signature. So in case you're being chased, yeah, by exactly. Person, you can find them. Oh my god. Anyways, uh, more questions. Questions, questions, questions. Well, we've skipped about a bit, so let's just let's just pick one. I've got. I'll take the first one. I think it's one of yours. Given you just grab any one of mine. You want any cool stories from the iconoclast playtests? Best story from the iconoclast playtest was when I was playing the opening gambit, where you are playing the the ISIS grunts, the the ISIS recruits who have gone to House of Al Razam uh, to to search it for. Um, contraband, anti-Islamic or pre-Islamic um, artifacts. Uh, number one, I noticed that the people who played the nastiest, grossest, meanest ISIS recruits were always women. <laughs> women, when they had to be a shitty, misogynist ISIS, ISIS incel, they played it up. They're like, okay, I get it. This is like one of those Vault of Horror comics where terrible people go and run into something supernatural and it eats their face and they totally deserve it. You know what I mean? That that was kind of the thing that would happen in Tales from the Crypt and, you know, there was, or, or Vault of Horror, those old EC comics. They got it. They were terrible people. They're going to go poke something and it's going to blow up in their face. They were 100% in. Well, there's this one woman who sat down at the table um, at a convention. And she'd never played a role playing game before. And so I gave her a quick primer. Oh, I go. gave her a quick primer on, you know, how skills work. You know, you want to be able to do things. The, the character sheets were designed so that someone could, everything was very highlighted so you could see what your chances of doing something were. And she would only ask a few questions. Well, like, if I wanted to do this, what would I, you know, what part of the character sheet would I use? She didn't have any questions about, like, how do I, I don't know what to do. She's like, well, I know what to, I want to do something. How does the sheet tell me how I can do it? And I'm like, cool. But we just she got right into it. So the players had released the father of war, and the giant swarm of obsidian chips has already devoured huge numbers of the party. Like half the people have been horribly skinned alive or stumbling around, you know, um, falling out the door of the I don't know why this hurt more to me, but the, the skinless guy stumbles a few feet out the door into the swimming pool that's filled with sand and then falls into the oh. sand and gets all the sand stuck on his bloody body on that. And for some reason, that really, that really, I was like, oh, that's, oh, that stings. I bet that stings, you know. Yeah. Um, but but three people had gotten out. Three people had had gotten out, and that and and it was um, two male players in the in this one female player. The two male players 
they are not looking back. They are just running for the truck and they get to the truck and they open up the truck and they're like, who has the key? And they realize the keys for the truck are back on one of the guys who's been shredded in the pool. Skinned. And they're like, what do we do? He's like, well, you can try to hotwire. It's like, do I know anything about that? Well, what's your electronic skill? It's base. Roll the dice. Roll O one. They start the truck. They're like, we're gonna make just like like just they literally just pulled on wires and just stuck starts mashing wires together and it starts right up. And they start pulling away immediately. The female player's character has to run and make a jump roll to get into the back of the truck. They do not stop her. I say, do you stop? They're like, fuck no. <laughs> they just drive off without her. And so she has to run and she does a leap and she barely makes the roll, right? So obviously her sandaled feet are dragging on the, the, the gravel road and she pulls herself into the back of the truck, you know, and then behind her, she can see this cloud like locusts that goes up over the top of the house and pours down the other side like a waterfall. And then it's coming through the gate after them. And they're driving. I will make how fast you want to drive. It's like, we are flooring. It's like, okay, you have to make drive rolls. You're going to crash. And they're making their dive rolls and making their drive rolls. And they're not good at driving and they're still making their drive rolls. Okay. So it's, it's, <laughs> you know, the, the, again, the guy who had the keys was the guy with the drive roll and he's nowhere to be found. Right. He's already turned into mucilage or whatever. Um, and so she's in the back of the truck and she says, well, don't we have dynamite? I said, yeah, we totally have dynamite. He's like, well, it's like a, a case of dynamite? Yeah, you have a case of dynamite. She's like, well, I have demolitions. I'm like, you have a little bit of demolitions, you know? And so she's like, well, all right, I want to, you know, I'm like, well, listen, you're in the back of a truck. It's bouncing around, you know, the dynamite's loose. You're not going to be able to strap the dynamite. She says, no, fuck that. I just want to take one of the blasting caps out, light it, throw it in the, in the case of dynamite and close it. <laughs> okay. Martyred. <laughs> no, it's so much better than that. So I'm like, okay, you did. She rolls and she does it. It's mostly about dexterity at that point. Not and, you know, and, and how well they drive versus, you know, making her dexterity roll worse. I'm like, are you going to throw it out? I'm just like, I'm not gonna throw it at the monster. I'm jumping out of the truck. <laughs> Just like, and she does. She jumps out of the truck while the two guys are now driving, and they now know that they have a bomb in the back of the truck, but they don't know. <laughs> but their characters don't know. So their characters are still just driving. You know, we're gonna be. So she jumps out of the truck and she fumbles the jump. And she takes damage, you know, and breaks her leg. And she's laying in the middle of the road and can't escape. And the giant cloud of obsidian chips lounds on her and begins swirling around her. She's being, her skin's being flayed off in tiny pieces. And the two other guys in the truck, they just look in the rear view mirror and like, oh, it's time to get her. We're going to make it. We're going <laughs> to. No. <laughs> and I say to them, there is a bright flash. There are no virgins. <laughs> <laughs> 